This is Channel 253. In this episode of Nerd Farmer. In this very, um, in this very red um, part of the state, property rights are a huge thing. So if me as a business owner says, in order to be on my property, you must wear a mask, then people will start wearing masks. It's like Costco, right? So exactly. <laughs> nobody's thinking, gonna stop going to Costco. Yeah. <laughs> no one's gonna stop going to Costco right. because we, we have to get 42 of everything. So um <laughs> Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. This is the Nerd Farmer Podcast, a national conversation through a local lens. Welcome to the Nerd Farmer Podcast, an interview show. My name's Nate, and I'm your host, an American teacher abroad. I come to you today with a bit of a heavy heart. We are going to have, in this episode, a conversation about the COVID-19 outbreak, and in particular, its uh, impact on Yakima County. But at the same time, I'd be remiss if I didn't like center and address like things that are happening in the world right now. We're recording this conversation on June the 1st, which means that there was a killing in Minnesota of George Floyd seven days ago, and protests have been happening uh, in response to that killing. A couple of thoughts about that before we get to the COVID conversation. The police are the problem, and I'm not really interested in hearing anything else except the police are the problem. Today in Auckland, New Zealand, tens of thousands of people marched to the streets screaming Black Lives Matter in support of protesters in the United States. And some folks were saying, look at how peaceful they're being. No, the protesters in New Zealand are not more peaceful than American protesters. The protesters in New Zealand were not attacked by the police. When you are having conversations with people about this, there are two questions that you need to keep in mind. One, who killed George Floyd? Okay. The Minneapolis police killed George Floyd. Two, how many windows were broken and how much rioting happened before the Minneapolis police tear gassed protesters? The answer is zero. Law enforcement is escalating conflict across the country and is a catalyst for conflict, period, full GD stop. And the president of the United States has repeatedly called the media the enemy of the people, and now his foot soldier goons and American law enforcement are abiding by that by attacking members of the press. Time after time after time after time, we are seeing members of the press being attacked. And frankly, what I would say to members of the press is, is welcome to being black in America because they've been doing that to us forever. I have watched for my entire life as local journalists have sympathetically covered law enforcement and have caped for law enforcement, and have given soft pedal to law enforcement scandals. And I hope that this moment, I hope that this moment in which police officers are being pepper sprayed, sorry, when, when journalists are being pepper sprayed, when journalists are losing their eyes, a woman lost her eye to a rubber pellet, that it makes them more skeptical of law enforcement because they need to bring that skepticism of law enforcement to the community. Now, that has to go on the record before we push on any forward. Now, today's episode is a conversation about the COVID outbreak. And what I want to say is, is that this show is at its best 
when we're talking about local politics. However, for me, the definition of local kind of varies right now based on where I am. And I want to bring your attention, dear listeners, what's happening in Yakima, Washington. Yakima is the geographic heart of Washington state. It produces uh, a lot of the produce you're consuming. And there's a COVID outbreak that is happening there that is disproportionately killing brown people. And so I brought together three guests for a conversation today. Uh, first off, we have Sarah Shields, and she's a member of the Yakima Nation. We have Sonia Lund, who is a member of the Yakima City Council, and then Greg Holling, who is the managing editor of the Yakima Herald. And we are going to have a conversation with them today about the COVID outbreak. And what I hope that you get from this conversation is an understanding and an empathy for the situation and what is happening in Yakima. And if you can think about ways you can help with the outbreak, do so. But before we go there, I just want to return back to the issue of the protests. The United States is the only industrialized nation in which law enforcement kills people on a regular basis. I am in the Middle East. I can see Iran like almost from my house. And my mother said to me last night, I'm glad that you're there, baby, because you're safer there than you are here. Y'all, if you are listening to this show, you need to hold Tacoma police accountable, hold Seattle police accountable, and hold these damn elected officials accountable because like this needs to stop. Today's conversation is going to be a roundtable. If you've ever attended Adult Civics Happy Hour, we have a similar lineup. So today we have with us an activist from the Yakima area. We have a policymaker from the city council and a journalist from the Yakima Herald. And so Sarah, Greg, and Sonia, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Hey, thank you. Uh, I personally am passionate about this for a host of reasons. Uh, one of the things that really occurs to me is that the COVID outbreak in Yakima County is a microcosm of what's happening in the United States. 35% of the people who have been diagnosed with COVID-19 in Washington state are Hispanic Latinos, although they're only 13% of the population. And then something that I've just always believed in on social media is, is that whatever happens to black people in America happens to Native Americans and worse, but nobody cares. And so I want to have this conversation about the COVID-19 outbreak, and I'm just really excited to have you all uh, on the air with us today. Uh, Sarah, can I start with you, please? Yes, please. Sarah, you are somebody who I've known through the soccer community for nearly a decade. Mm -hmm. As a member of the Yakima Nation and a lifetime, lifetime resident of Yakima County, uh, help me understand what is happening right now in Yakima. You know, I wish I could fully understand it, but what I see is just a lot of this doesn't affect me personally. So I'm not going to care what's going on countywide, statewide, nationwide. Um, it's, I, I hate to say it, but it's just a lot of selfishness amongst people in, in the county here. And they don't want to believe what's right in front of them. Um, there's no people wearing masks. They don't want to respect any kind of the rules because they don't shouldn't apply to them because it's not affecting them. I go shopping with my mask, trying to respect the six feet distance. And there's everyone, probably like 95% of everyone else in the store out in town does not respect what's going on. And I just, I don't know why, because it's out there. We're seeing it. We're being told what's going on. And there's, I just, I just don't, I just don't understand it. <laughs> 
for the benefit of the audience, I think it's important to talk about like the number of COVID cases that are happening right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, A stat that I saw online, courtesy of Will James, by the way, Will James, thank you, is is that uh, in order to get to phase two for a county, you need to be below, I believe, 15 cases per 100,000. And Yakima... Was it's tw- it's 25. The new metrics that came out on Friday is 25 per 100,000. We have 250,000 um, people who live in Yakima County. So we need basically 62.5 or fewer on a 14-day stretch. We're doing more okay. than 120 a day. Yes. Yeah, I, I saw that the current number is 481 cases per 100,000. And you mentioned, Greg, the number 120 a day. And so, like, this is a situation where the worst COVID outbreak in the state of Washington is happening in one of the most brown communities in Washington. And for me as an advocate, that's demonstrative of a lot of things that are wrong with American politics <laughs> and, like, with public health. By the way, that voice you heard jump in there was Sonia Lund. Uh, Sonia, I want to bring you in the conversation. Oh, Can you introduce okay. yourself, please? Hi, um... Well, most people call me Sonia. I actually, my name is actually Sonia Lund, and um, I have owned a business in Yakima since 2001. I recently was elected to city council in District 5 for the city of Yakima. So, um, yeah, this is, I, I, I got elected and then immediately went into a pandemic. So, um, it's been fun. <laughs> um, just to kind of piggyback on a little bit of what Sarah was saying, um, I think there's a media distrust is one of the biggest problems, I think, in Yakima County is, yes, we're being told what's happening. We, we, we're told every day on social media and on the news and in the paper, we're told every single day. And yet the thing that I hear the most is, well, I don't know anybody with COVID. And so I think what's happening too is until it affects somebody that everybody knows nobody's going to really listen. Also too, when we're talking about Brown communities or communities of color, um, we're also talking about um, the cultural part of that as well. So we are people who work together and live together and hang out together. And so this idea of staying away from each other is completely foreign. And it's, it's just not something we do. That's our entire support system is our families and our friends and our neighborhoods. And so to tell us to put a mask on and don't touch each other and don't hang out, I mean, it, it goes completely against everything that we know culturally. So um, I think that I think that's a, has a lot to do with it, too. And it's 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 not um, I don't. Well, there is, too, that whole subsect of you can't tell me what to do kind of mentality, but also, I mean, we live in a poor community. We rely on each other physically and mentally and spiritually. So to keep us apart from each other is just completely foreign. One of the best conversations I've heard about the outbreak was on the Ezra Klein show. And he spoke about how the term social distancing is a misnomer. And actually what we need is physical distancing and social solidarity. And so what you're describing to me is that there's not social solidarity between the communities in Yakima, where there's solidarity within communities, but not between communities. Uh, Greg, can I pivot to you really fast? So As the journalist, what is your read on like the cause of the outbreak? Why is the outbreak in Yakima County so so high? Uh, and let's start with that. 
think there are probably a few reasons. Um, one is that this is an extremely conservative part of the state. And um, a big part of the population used very closely uh, to President Trump and his message. And for nearly four years, actually four years, if you count the campaign, the president's been uh, calling out fake news and calling the press the uh, enemy of the people. And so when we started delivering uh, news about uh, the pandemic uh, and the seriousness of it, the risk involved, uh, it was rejected by a big part of the population just because that's the party line. They weren't going to have it. They were going to buy into Alex Jones theories. They were going to buy into, uh, uh, you know, the, the latest Yahoo or rather uh, iTube, YouTube video uh you know, uh, conspiracy theory. Uh, they were going to reject uh, the data that was being reported to them, the warnings that were being given, um, and it contributed to the spread. Um, they just weren't having it because the president wasn't having it. It was a hoax after all. Um, so I think politics did play a big part of it. I think uh, at the local level, government has been admirable um, in <clears throat> rejecting uh, that viewpoint, but among the broader population, it's been widely accepted. Um, the second is that it was so chaotic early uh, in the pandemic. Um, the Yakima Health District issued its stay-at-home order at 10.30 on a Sunday night, and it took effect the following day. I mean, there was, it came out via a news release that we were lucky to see because we're still putting out the print edition at 1030 at night. So we got the news posted online and in the next day's paper, but no other media had it until the next day. And we were accused of, of publishing fake news because nobody else had it. Um, so the process of, of um, you know, um, issuing the order was chaotic. Communication was chaotic early in the, in the, in the pandemic. I think that all contributed. Sonia, I want to go back to you for a moment. You wear two hats in this conversation because not only are you an elected official, but you're also the owner and operator of a hair salon. And for reasons that are beyond me, hair salons and barbershops have become flashpoints in the COVID outbreak and the shutdown. Like we've seen the signs with the yahoos, like I just want my hair cut. Uh, you are not one of those hairstylists who's trying to be a martyr during this. Can you talk... Can you, can you, can you like help me understand as a small business owner, uh, how is this shutdown impacting you personally? And then if it's impacting you in the way that I think it is, uh, why are you not advocating like the rest of the crazy folks are? Well, um, how is it impacting me personally? Well, I haven't been paid in nine weeks and I don't know anybody who can go nine weeks without a paycheck. So there's, um, it's impacting me financially, first of all. Um, and you know, they we're, and this is my small business owner hat, right? So we were promised help with the PPP and then, and then, the you know, then there's a, the grant and then we were supposed to get unemployment, even though we're self-employed and none of that has come through for, for me or anyone else that I know that owns salons. So, um, we're just kind of all hanging in the wind here. So, um, Financially, this is a huge impact on me. I, I'm, you know, I'm going on month three without, um, without making a, any money at all. And yet 
the overhead is still there, right? Like I still have to keep the power on and I still have to pay the mortgage and, and those sorts of things. And so, um, that's very, very stressful, but it also impacts me in a very emotional way too. And, um, I don't know if, if, um, this is for men. Um, but I know that women specifically, like women love their hairdresser. We're part of every woman's biggest moments of their life, right? So we are part of their wedding, sometimes their prom, their wedding, their first child, the baptism of their children, when their parents pass away, we are part of that. And, and I'm a colorist, so I get to be a big part of things on a monthly basis with, with my clients. And, and um, it's, you build this kind of bond and this, um, this relationship with your clients, and I miss that. I haven't seen my friends in three months. And that is... Um, yeah, that, that, that impacts, it's a huge impact. And for someone like me, who's super social, this is terrible. So, yeah, that's, um, and so why am I not being a martyr? Like, um, are you talking about like the girl in Texas that yeah, got arrested? Like, I've seen, <laughs> I'm, I'm very tired of conservative grift. And so like we've seen the conservative small business owner who sets themselves up and I'm going to defy the law. Right. And then people show up with guns like assholes. And then there's a GoFundMe and they make a quarter million dollars. Like, why have you chosen to abide by the law and not be one of those people? Um, because it's the law. <laughs> because it's, <laughs> I just, um, I think because it is ridiculous to me that just because you don't like something, you, you don't follow it. I mean, also, also, it's a pandemic. Like, we're not supposed to be doing this. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I, it bothers me that people who are defying the law are making a half a million dollars in a GoFundMe account. That bothers me a lot. Um, I think rewarding bad behavior is just, it's just a terrible thing to do. Um, but also, I have been working really closely with our county commissioners and with our state representatives and with labor and industries on a plan, a safe, open plan for salons that respect the guidelines um, and safety protocol to keep to keep us safe and our clients safe. Um, that that also allows us to open in a way that will not spread this virus. So um, extra sanitation, gloves, masks, those sorts of things are all going to, going to be required. But I wrote this, this opening protocol for the state um, a few weeks ago. And actually, I think salons and barbershops were actually supposed to be in phase three, but because of some of the hard work um, that myself and and lots of people across my industry did in putting this together and presenting it to um, the governor's office. We were able to move into into phase two because we we do touch people, so that's like physically distancing, at, not at all. So um, I think that that's. I mean, that just that shows that we we came together. We figured out a plan. How do we how do we not go bankrupt? And also keep people safe. So those are the things that we need to, you know, continue to do across the industries because this isn't going in a way. This is not going in away anytime soon. So we're going to spend, I think, most of the back half of the episode talking in particular about the impact on agricultural workers and like what's happening uh, for ag workers in the Yakima, Yakima County. But Sarah, I want to ask you, uh, 
What does this outbreak outbreak look like on the Yakama Nation? Um, you know, it's along with what Sonia had said earlier about cultural, you know, significance of people. The social distancing isn't happening because it's not something we know. Um, I think it's starting to really kind of take effect on the reservation because it's affecting our elders. And that's one of the most important resources to most Native Americans. Well, I wouldn't say most. I will, I'll say all. I, I just wrong word. All Native communities. And so that our most important resource is being hit the hardest. People are starting to realize what this is going to do for future generations because that's where we learn everything about our ways, our land, you know, our food sources and such. Um, so it's becoming serious for people here on the reservation now, but the communities are so tight knit that it's just, it's hard to do the physical distancing. Um, in my household, there's three of us where, you know, multi-generational and right next door is my grandmother. So, I mean, it's, we're all around each other. And we're lucky to be in two separate households. So the word's getting out. I, I see a lot of younger people really stepping out and spreading the word, you know, to take this seriously. Um, and the our the casino was one of the first big businesses to close on the reservation and in Yakima County. And I think that took a lot of courage and I think was the right step for others to follow suit. And um, even as of this last Friday, when the governor announced that, you know, pretty much the stay at home order was being lifted on the 31st, I still haven't heard anything from my tribe about where that leaves me and as um, coming back to work because they, they don't want us in because of how serious this all is. They're really taking into consideration of how many of the employees are also tribal employees, our members. So it's, it's been a lot of back and forth. Like at first I was really nervous because they weren't saying anything to us and now they still aren't. But for the reason I don't, I want them to, I don't want to go back to work yet because I'm not, I don't feel safe too. So I don't know. That was a lot of rambling. Sorry. No, it's, it's, it's sincere and honest. I appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, Greg, you, one of your tweets was a catalyst for this episode. Uh, you, t you posted on May 16th, 122 new cases in Yakima County, including the first case in the County jail. So we've been timestamping episodes during the outbreak, so folks know we're recording this right now on June the 1st. Uh, how has the number of daily infections, how has that number fluctuated, and what is happening uh, at the county jail right now? The number really hasn't fluctuated. It's been rising uh, almost constantly. I mean, there will be an occasional dip. Uh, last week, I think before all hell broke loose, we had one day in the 50s, and that was the best day last week. Uh, from there, it skyrocketed to 129, and that's the biggest day that we've had. And then it was 128, and it was 122. And there was a windstorm that knocked out Internet. <laughs> and so I don't know what happened over the weekend, but um, uh, the numbers aren't, aren't going down. They aren't really even fluctuating. They're, they're climbing. And um, um, there are, there's, I mean, there are reasons why we're doing more testing. Part of that is because of the strikes. Um, at the fruit packing plants. Um, those strikes led to greater testing among employees. Um, that's one reason we're seeing more cases. Um, but um, 
in terms of what's happening at the jail. Uh, the jail took steps relatively early. The jail was actually a flashpoint in, in, in this uh, in this ordeal because on the Sanaya helped me. It wasn't at the same day that the stay-at-home order was issued that the jailbreak happened? Uh, yes. Um, 14 people, 14 <laughs> prisoners went over the wall at the jail in downtown Yakima because the, the story was for public consumption, the first story for public consumption was that they were afraid of getting COVID. Um, and so they uh, basically beat down a fire door, went over a fence, and most of them were caught within like 15 minutes, but you know, three or four of them were on the lam for a couple of days. They caught them all. And as it turns out, um, it really didn't have anything to do with COVID. It was more about uh, the fact that um, one bad actor didn't want to go back to his bunk and so incited a riot and um, uh, took advantage of the situation to run. Um, but um, there's been this rumor from the outset that, yeah, COVID's in the jail, COVID's in the jail. It's everywhere. People are sick. People are dying. Well, it, that's it, actually, no, they've been doing testing uh, from the onset, testing employees, testing prisoners during the intake process. If they saw someone who displayed symptoms, they were isolated. They were kept away from the general population. Um, and so COVID-19 didn't get into the jail until the, around the 22nd. Um, and it came here from a lower Valley community, uh, Sunnyside. They transferred a prisoner from their jail to our jail. That prisoner brought COVID-19 with them. That little Sunnyside jail is just a small community, little jail. They had a serious outbreak of COVID-19. They had like 11, right? Help me here. They had like 11 yeah. prisoners and some jailers I think, um, yeah, I think who were so. infected. And one of those prisoners ended up here. And so... Um, the jail reacted quickly. Uh, I actually sent him home. He was here on a low-level uh, charge. Um, and so they sent him home and quarantined him um, and basically got him out of the population. And they've been doing some really smart things, too. The, the, the jails have been um, expanded access to phones and emails so that prisoners can stay in touch with their families since their families can't come for typical visits. The, I mean, the jail understands that that's a lifeline you know, for, for a prisoner is having that family contact. And so that they've expanded the use of free email and phone calls for juvenile prisoners. Um, they've been taking some really smart steps. So, I mean, they, they have been aggressive about responding to COVID-19 in the jail system. Uh, Sonia, I'm really curious to you as a policymaker, as a, as a, as a member of the city council, uh, to what extent do you believe that the uh, Yakima, that Yakima County and the state of Washington have been responsive to your requests as a city? Well, um, I, I think everybody's doing as the best that they can do with a situation that nobody understands. And um, I think that... I have a very good relationship with Vicki Baker, uh, who's our, one of our new county commissioners. Um, and she is really on, uh, really on top of it. Um, I wish that, so kind of a hierarchy of, of power, I would say, would be city council is very, very low <laughs> on that. And so the, com the commissioners are, are a bigger deal. And, and the Yakima Health District actually has Quite a bit of power and i just got um a new situation report from over the weekend and we have um 120 new cases since the 28th so that would be over the 
like over the weekend since I think like Thursday or Friday. So um, I, they're, I think that they're really good about sharing information and sharing ideas and getting everybody around the table. But I, there's this balance of power too, like, how do we keep people safe? How do we get people back to work? And sometimes the struggle is, um, we're saying, the city is saying, how do we keep people safe? And the county is saying, how do we go back to work? And so that's the, I think that's the, um, that's what we're, that's our fight. And I think it's a good balance because the, both of those voices are being heard. But in a county that is 64%, correct me if I'm wrong, 64% essential workers, it is, um, it is really hard to keep people safe, really. I mean, and our essential workers are working right next to each other. And going back to the strikes and the, um, in, the in the fruit warehouses, there were some warehouses that from the, uh, from the get-go were proactive. And um, I, I know that I think it was Legacy, I, Legacy Fruit. I'm not, I'm, uh, I don't want to say that without confirming, but when the first out when the first patient in Snohomish County tested positive for COVID, they went through their fruit warehouses and put up dividers and uh, masks and PPE for everybody. And so they minimized those risks. I mean, I think they've had a few positive cases in that warehouse, but I think, and so the warehouses are mostly a county thing. So that's, I, I'm not getting all of the information, but I think that that's, that was, the, um, I don't know how to say this, like that should have been the, oh, this is the plan for every warehouse. And I think a lot of warehouses just didn't follow it until it was too late. And that's what we're seeing. One point of clarification really fast is, so you mentioned earlier that Yakima County is a population about a quarter million people. Yes. 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 Uh, Yakima proper, the city's population is? is uh, just under 100,000. So 97,000. Okay. So almost half. Yeah. Are the majority of the cases people who live in Yakima proper or in the county? So the majority of cases, from what I understand, well, at first it was the assisted living. So yes, it was Yakima proper. Um, and then and then it was a warehouse, a fruit warehouses. So they may live in Yakima City, but they work in the county. Hmm. So, and then what... Um, I know that there's outbreaks out um, through the Yakima Nation. So that's definitely county. So um, let me, I, I can pull up the situation report and I think it tells me exactly like it's the majority of these spots are the largest number is out like out, outlying Yakima city, not within the city itself is what I'm understanding. Okay. All right. So we're going to take a break here. And when we come back, we're going to impact, uh, sorry, we're going to unpack in particular um, what is happening with agricultural workers that strike that a couple of you all have mentioned. And then also uh, a listener sent me a question about what's happening in SELA and the policy choices that are happening in SELA and how they're impacting Yakima. And so we'll talk through all of those uh, issues in a moment. We'll be back. This is Doug Mackey, producer of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. This episode of Channel 253 is sponsored by Pacific Lutheran University. Your student can go to college just about anywhere in the world, 
But have you thought about the school just down the street? When it comes to their undergraduate programs, PLU is a triple threat. First, PLU has a great liberal arts program that will expand young minds and help them thrive no matter where they go after leaving our campus. Second, PLU is part of the Tacoma and South Sound community, passing on the values of civic engagement to the next generation. And finally, PLU has programs that will prepare students for some of the most important and high-demand careers post-graduation. Liberal arts, civic engagement, and professional studies, a triple threat that will help your student thrive. To learn more, visit plu.edu slash admission. Now back to the show. And we are back. I want to thank you for downloading the show today and giving us a listen. Uh, the Nerd Farmer Podcast is a production of Channel 253. Channel 253 is a local network of podcasts telling stories that are based in the South Sound, but showing but sharing points of view from all over the place. I personally am passionate about this story in Yakima because I think that us in Western Washington don't pay nearly enough attention to what's happening in Eastern Washington and uh, what's happening in Eastern and Central Washington impacts us all. We're all one state, even the weirdos over in Spokane who should be in Idaho. Like, we're all one state. <laughs> so, if you are enjoying this episode and you are uh, supporting local storytelling like this, please think about supporting Channel 253 with a membership. They are $4 a month or $40 a year. And either way, uh, that's frankly very, very cheap. And it will help make these stories happen. And I'm going to also say, so Greg doesn't have to, if you're listening to this and you are in Yakima, subscribe to the Yakima Herald. Uh, a newspaper is the lifeblood of a civic culture and the reporting that they're doing is reporting that is necessary for the community. So consider membership. And if you're listening, Yakima, subscribe to the paper and we're Thank back. You. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, I want to unpack something that you all mentioned a couple of times that came up in my research. You spoke about strikes. So help me wrap my head around what is happening with the agricultural workers. Uh, Greg, can I start with you? Sure. Um, COVID-19 is, based on the statistics we're receiving from the health district, disproportionately affecting Hispanics. Uh, according to the uh, health district's numbers, and I mean, they're only working with stats that, you know, the people who, sell, who identify by race, it's not everybody, but, 49% of the county's population is Hispanic. 67% of COVID-19 cases are Hispanic. Hmm. Um, COVID-19 was showing up uh, in the packing houses. It was showing up in the fields. It was, uh, it was affecting the Hispanic population uh, dramatically uh, from the very beginning. Um, and as you would expect, it was a topic of conversation on the floors of the packing houses. And it got to the point where workers simply didn't feel like they were being safe. The workers tried to approach management. They felt like they, they were being rebuffed. They looked around and they saw workers at uh, Fred Meyer's or Safeway uh, getting hazard pay. Uh, they weren't getting it. Uh, and so they decided to ask for precautions. They started, they started asking for additional safety measures. They started asking for more money during this ordeal. And when management wasn't quick enough to respond, a series of wildcat strikes started. It uh, started about the middle of May, 
Uh, and within two weeks, there were seven packing houses where workers had walked out, had gone on strike. Um, and the demands were universal. Um, hazard pay, uh, better safety precautions, um, and um, those things, have, those strikes have played out over the course of May. Almost all of them have been successful. Uh, and almost all of them have been, actually, this was kind of a, a turning point uh, in Yakima County labor. Almost all of them were led, help me here, Sarah, were, were led actually by the workers. There was a, a, a union presence early in the process, but effectively they trained up workers to negotiate with management. And it was the workers who negotiated their uh, pay increases uh, and, and their access to additional PPE. Am I right, Sarah? Yes, I would believe so. Um, one of the things that I wonder about, because so I live out on the reservation, which isn't, you know, near fruit packaging places. And the conversation that's lost that I don't see in any of this is the field workers. Um, mm. Because there's, there's, there's no way to put a barrier between them and others. And there's no monitoring. Like, that, that's what I'm really concerned and worried about. Like, everything I've read and heard was about the people in the, the packaging warehouses. Um, but yeah, you, I, you are correct there, Greg, with about the uh, um, worker-led protests or strikes. Sorry, excuse me. Um, so these strikes have, these are now all settled and the plants are back to work essentially? Almost all of them. Yeah, except for one or two. Okay. Uh, my wonder from all of this is, is, so I'm, I'm going to, so Sonia, you're the policymaker, so, so not for you necessarily, but Sarah, for you as the citizen, like how do you rate the response of local government? Do you feel like the county is responding appropriately? Do you feel like things are being communicated to you and the people on the reservation in an effective manner? Um, I, I would say it's been positive. I, I think they're trying their hardest and they're in a really odd spot because of the dynamics, you know, the difference of between, you know, red versus blue. And a lot of the people who are, you know, striking necessarily don't have the loudest voice in, you know, the, um, I forget the word you used um, from like Sonia's point of view, what she does, you said the policy making. Policy making. Thank you. Yeah. I was getting there. Um but I, I think they're being heard, and I, I think, I think it, it's gone well. Um, yeah, so I would say they're doing good. They're in a really weird position, though. There's a bunch of weird little pockets. Like they're getting bigger, obviously. Of you know the less conservative people here in town, um, but like the majority is still you know leaning the other way. Not to say that nicely. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. Um <laughs> Greg, I'm really curious. Do you think that Yakima County is going to qualify for phase two in the near term? Not in the near term. There's, there's, there's no way. There's, you can't get the infection rate down quickly enough. The hospitals uh, are seeing more and more COVID-19 patients. There were 50, 50, 50 hospitalized patients um, going into the weekend. And that's putting a strain on capacity. 
um, that's also one of the criteria. Um, uh, the R not ratio, which is basically a ratio of how many uh, uh, people are infected by uh, a COVID-19 patient um, is still well above one. It has to be one or below. Um, it's, there are just too many factors that uh, are off the charts that, that need to be dialed back. And that's not going to happen anytime soon. And part of that is, okay, um, the Yakima Health District has, has dealt well with an impossible situation, okay? Um, they, they don't have a ton of resources, um, but they've responded, and they've typically responded quickly. But it took them until late last week to urge people to begin wearing masks. Last week. You know, nobody has come out aggressively and said, wear masks. Um, the hospital, Virginia Mason Memorial Hospital and the Health District Mission to Survey that found 35% of people in the community are wearing masks, 35%. And it's gonna take 80% to knock this thing back to the point where we can interface to. And the backlash has been predictable. I'm not gonna wear a mask, it infringes upon my personal rights. There's all sorts of conspiracy theories about masks. There's just outright rejection of them. Um, there's a lot of work to do before we ever get to phase two. So, Sonia, I, I, I'm led to you as a member of the city council and as a small business owner. Do you feel like the leadership is in place in the community in order to get the people in both the city of Yakima and Yakima County on board with the precautions that need to be taken? So it's, it's interesting that you asked that. Um, the health district has this, and this is coming from them. The health district has predominantly looked to the governor's office as far as what they, sh you know, should say. And when the governor's office isn't saying wear masks, like you must wear masks, then the health district says, well, we can't really tell people that they have to wear masks. And so then the county says, well, we can't really tell people we have to wear masks. And then the city says, well, we can't really tell people they have to wear masks. So I think what, um, and we have a city council meeting tomorrow evening, and I believe what's going to come up is a very strong recommendation to wear masks. <laughs> and it just seems like the general consensus is, well, we can't tell people to wear masks. And, and I think my point of view is, why not? Like, why can't we tell people to wear masks? So I think what we're pivoting, and I'm, and I'm trying to be the voice here of business owners, is urging business owners to require people wearing masks to enter their business. And I think that is the only way because it, in, this very, um, in this very red um, part of the state, property rights are a huge thing. So if me as a business owner says, in order to be on my property, you must wear a mask, then people will start wearing masks. It's like Costco, right? So exactly. <laughs> nobody's going to stop going to Costco. Yeah. <laughs> no one's going to stop going to Costco right. because we, we have to get 42 of everything. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> right? So nobody's going to stop. So they're going to put their mask on to go into Costco. And so I think if we can, um, I think our message is to put pressure on business owners. Like you have the response as a business owner, you have the responsibility to keep the people on your property safe. That is your responsibility and also your right as a business owner to say no shoes, no shirt, no mask, no service. Everybody seems to be kind of 
touching around the surface about what's happening with the Yakima County Health Authority. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's more to be said, though, about their response. Do you all think that they're doing the job that the people in Yakima deserve to receive as far as support and informing the public? They they put out a little video on social media, I think, every day or every other day. Um, I, I don't think it's an I think that the response has been slow. I think that from the get but I mean, we're now we're playing Monday. What, what is called Monday night? Monday morning quarterback, yeah. Monday morning quarterback, right? Like, had you come out immediately and said this, wear your mask, don't touch people, then in a very stronger than, here's a suggestion, (laughs) I think it would have been, I I would have been, um, yeah, I, I think that would have been better. But again, like, you know, hindsight and everything, but. I think the message needs to be clear. Wear your mask or, or no one's getting a haircut. You know, I mean, it's just like, <laughs> no, wear your mask and nobody's going to be able to sit in a bar again. I mean, like this is, uh, these are the things you, we have to get those numbers down. We have to, and I, and honestly though, I think that I have a, a, a kind of a different um, outlook on the numbers themselves. I, I know that they are mass testing in, in, food processing and warehouse and um, assisted living and jails. They are not mass testing the general population though. And that, um, I think that's the difference. And now they've gone through and they've already tested everybody. So we're going to, we see these huge numbers spike in, in those hotspots, but they've already tested all these people. So I, I think that those numbers are actually going to go down. And until there's a test for every man, woman, and child in Yakima, we're actually not going to know the real numbers, honestly. I mean, I don't know a single person that's been tested in my circle of people. So, except for myself, but the, the, the big picture of the percentage of COVID positive cases in Yakima, I I just don't think that we're, we're seeing the real, I don't, I don't think we're seeing the real numbers. I think it's much, much worse than it is. And, um, and for me, I just because numbers go down doesn't mean that fewer people have it. That's, that's in my, in my head, right? Like just because we're going to see numbers go down in the next three or three weeks doesn't mean that it isn't spreading because those mass testing areas are not being, are not going to be happening. That's, that's my, the community health officer estimated what uh, more than a week ago that, based on the numbers she was seeing that she estimated that 5% of the county's population had COVID-19. And that's because of community spread. And you're right. I mean, the numbers are probably going to dip at some point, um, but it's out there uh, and it's being spread because uh, people aren't wearing masks. People aren't staying away from each other. People are going out and conducting business as usual. It's you know, I just, I, I just, you know, you asked Nate, you asked about the the, the health district, and you know, it, it's been. I, I really appreciate everything that Sonaya had to say. Um, it, it was just so chaotic at the beginning, and that's the word I keep coming back to. I mean, why why are you issuing a stay at home order at ten thirty on a Sunday night that takes effect the following day? 
why why did you put it out in an email? Why didn't you approach this more systematically? Why didn't you treat it with the importance that it deserved? And when we asked the health um, district official that, um, you know, she said, uh, well, you know, it was it was so urgent that we just had to put it out. Well, at a 1030 uh, on a Sunday night, that's just it's it's ineffective. And I, I think that that was hard to overcome because it, it, it created doubt and mistrust and, you know, it, it, it looked disorganized. Um, and I think the health district had to overcome that. And I think they've become much steadier in their messaging, but steadiness is their goal. Um, they're, they're not, um, when, when they see outrageous numbers, uh, you know, they're not calling them outrageous. They're just saying, here's the data. They're, you know, they're, they're seeing these spikes and they're saying, here's the data. They're not saying, wear a mask and stay home. That, I mean, that took a long time to come out. They, they just weren't very aggressive because aggressiveness wasn't their, their goal. Steadiness was. Uh, and, and maybe, I don't know, uh, steadiness is, is, you know, steadiness is going to alienate the fewest number of people, but maybe there were times the message needed to be more aggressive. Hmm. Well, said, said. Um, I'm sorry, let me, did the health district put their stay-at-home order out after the city and the county did? Um, the stay-at-home order came out March 3rd, oh, God, it was like that weekend. It was like, I'd have to look at my calendar, but um, they put theirs out before the governor put his out and his came out on the 13th. Okay. Um, right. So, and I'm trying to remember, I think the... The city and county declared emergencies like shortly thereafter, um, if I if I'm remembering correctly. But it was all it was all about the same time. Okay, all right. Because I, you know, I, you know, we had this whole press thing, you know, with the county, and then I didn't hear anything about it again for it seemed like days, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what's striking for me is is that Yakima issued their stay at home order before the state issued their order, but right. the cases in Yakima are higher. And hearing what you all are saying, the numbers that we're seeing are highest, the infection numbers are highest in the agricultural community, people who are working in the fields and working in the plants, but they're being tested. Other folks are like, well, I don't have it. Nobody I know has it, which means there's, there could be asymptomatic carriers or pre-symptomatic right. carriers who are walking around spreading throughout the community. It's, it sounds like a kind of worst case scenario. Uh, Sarah, I want to go to you for a moment. Uh, how do you perceive the intergovernmental cooperation? Because like one of the things that's striking me is that you have city government, you have county government, you have tribal government, and you have neighboring county governments, like was mentioned earlier on, are sending you infected prisoners. Like how do you perceive the intergovernmental cooperation happening in the community? You know, I don't I don't think there really probably is much of a cooperation. Um and for me, I just a lot of it is just like, I just see what Yakima's doing because it's the biggest city in the county. So to me, everything's just Yakima, Yakima, Yakima. Um, I don't hear from other, the smaller cities, like what they're doing. Um, and even as a tribal member, I, I don't even really know what my tribal government is doing to work with the county. I mean, I'm sure they're probably meeting and there's conversations, but we don't hear any of these conversations. We just get told numbers. And I don't think that's, that's not going to help us come together to try and help improve our numbers, you know? Um, so, and that's just my take. And I don't, there's a lot going on and there's just, I can't try and keep up with everything. And if it wasn't for Greg, honestly, 
I probably wouldn't even see half the stuff that the Herald puts out because I can't take it anymore. It's just too much because you see all what your friends are saying and this and that, which obviously isn't a source of anything, but the commentary they're bringing in, it makes it kind of hard sometimes to hear the right commentary coming from the government, city, county sources. And that's, you know, that's on me, but we got to protect ourselves too at some point, you know, from all of this that's going on. Um, so yeah, there's that. Well, I think I, I me too, again, um, because so many people in Yakima County, such a high percentage are essential workers. The day-to-day life has not changed for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people still have to get up in the morning and go to go physically go to their job and do the same thing they did yesterday, clock in and clock out. You know, it's so life has not changed much for the majority of people, except that you just can't go get a drink after work. You know, I mean, that's honestly like that. And I think that's the frustrating thing is because we aren't, um, we're a county that is not, um, we're a county that the rest of the state needs us to go to work every day. Mm-hmm. And so life isn't any different, except now we're getting thrown these scary, scary numbers and do something and, and be better and stop talking to your, your friends. And it's, it's just such a mixed message, I think, for most people honestly. I want to just circle back one more time before we wrap up to the agricultural workers. So the story that I'm hearing from you all is, is that the outbreak was essentially the worst in the packing plants. The workers organized and had wildcat strikes. And in the aftermath of that, now there is testing and safeguards in place for them. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. But that hasn't yet happened for the field workers. It is happening for the field workers. Um, the state okay. issued a new series of, of uh, safety guidelines uh, late last week. This has been a real point of contention. Um, you know, uh, field workers were saying from the start that look, we don't have access to PPE. We can't. Eat, we don't even have hand washing stations, and you know, there's no. The, we we can't uh, socially distance. Um, and the state put out a set of guidelines. There's been give and take between the growers and, 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 the, and the farm workers and their advocates. And a new set of guidelines were issued last week that were actually pretty comprehensive. Um, the state is now saying you have to have access to hand washing stations. The uh, growers and suppliers, uh, growers have to supply uh, PPE. Where, you know, workers have to wear masks. They have to be transported under safe conditions with social distancing inside vehicles. Um, they have to work in units that are basically assigned units where they're, they're, you know, groups of up to 15 where they're always together. So they're not intermingling and spreading the virus among different groups. Um, farm workers were really happy with most of those guidelines. But one of the guidelines that they hated and that the growers felt that they needed was there are some growers who provide housing for their workers, right? And those, those, those workers sleep in bunk beds inside that housing. And the, the, the workers have argued from the outset that that's not safe. You can't make us do that, okay? You, you, we can't be crowded together in small rooms in bunk beds because it, it's just a, a, a COVID-19 hotbed. Well, the state said, actually, yes, you can uh, continue to house 
workers under those conditions. You can put them in bunk beds, but you have to have dividers. You have to have shields in place. And, you, and those workers have to be from those groups that you never break up. So there were new guidelines last week. They did It does address the field workers, uh, and it addresses packing houses as well. Um, so th- the state has been trying to address it. I appreciate that this is a messy conversation, but it's a complicated issue. And yeah. like, there's, there's no easy answers, honestly. And so I'm satisfied with messy. Uh, I normally end the show with a thing called the wind down. And the wind down is a moment where like guests give recommendations for people for like culture things to listen to. But I want to do something different. Uh, my hope is, is that this episode have a lot of listeners in Yakima. And so my ask for each one of you in closing is, is what's one thing you want from your community? What do you want people who are listening to this who are from your community to do? Uh, Sarah, let's start with you. Wear your mask. <laughs> There's so few people that like have them on. Wear a mask. That's all. Like wear a mask. I know at one point that there was shortage of masks in the States. Are masks readily, readily available now? Are they like, are they there there? Are they there if they want them? Um, you know, I, I, don't know. I was very fortunate. I have a grandmother who has an abundance of sewing material. We all have three layer masks that she sewed up for all of us. Um, I've seen a lot of others in my native community who have their sewing machines out post, you know, the 10, 15 that they just finished offering up to whoever needs them. So, I mean, there's still that line of like getting masks out. I don't know about the physical masks, like, are like, you know, going into a store and buying any, um, but I, I do know that I've seen plenty of people making them and offering them up for whoever needs them. And I guess maybe some of those people aren't, you know, not everyone's has that in their, um, reach, but I, I would hope that it somehow gets to them. But, and this is also people that I know and that I see, and if they're out shopping, you know, there's a lot of circumstances where they probably can't, but there's also, I don't know, just wear a mask please. <laughs> and they are, there is a uh, better availability of masks now. Uh, the packing houses, um, uh, commercial entities are, are able to get masks now. Okay. And then Greg, I'm going to preempt yours for a moment. So yep. what Greg needs you all to do is to subscribe to the Herald. So <laughs> yes, please <laughs> support the local newspapers so they can keep informing the community. So Greg, besides that, what do you need folks in the community to do? Um, okay. I'm going to, I'm not going to double down on Sarah, even though I think she's absolutely right. Uh, wear your masks, um, start listening, uh, to the experts, stop pretending that you're an expert, stop believing every conspiracy theory that you hear, stop rejecting, uh, the CDC out of hand. Um, those people know what they're doing. If they're telling you to wear masks, if they're telling you that masks work, if they're telling you how the disease spreads, you should listen to them. That's what I want you to do. You go ahead and preach. Uh, so on your last word for you? Um, those were the two things that I was going to say. So instead, I'm going to say, just show each other some grace here. Um, just the thing that I've seen out of this is um, this huge divide of just, I'm, and I'm frankly, I'm going to say it, just complete jerks versus those who are showing kindness every single day. And choose, just choose kindness, just choose kindness. And, and sometimes that means putting a mask on. A lot of times that means put a mask on, but be kind to your community. Yeah. 
and that's and pretty much your, it. Your community is a microcosm. It's it's the heart of Washington State geographically, mm-hmm. and it's a microcosm of America, honestly. Uh, Sarah, go ahead. Um, you know, this is one thing for, uh, I'm sorry, I say it, Sonia, I, I I know that wasn't the right way. I'm so sorry. It's okay. Um, the blooper is going to be great. <laughs> um, <laughs> the one of the things I I can't stress enough is I know there's a certain city council member who uses his non-city council voice very loudly. And I think other members of city council or even, you know, commissioners or whatever, who if they could just use their personal voice without you know, just as loudly. Does that make sense? I, I think that voice is being heard a lot more than others who I think we should probably hear from them as well. And I don't know, I know it's a sticky situation. I've been reading up. Nate, I don't know if you ca- caught up with the Jason White, I'm just going to say it, situation. Um, he's very vocal and, and he's using his personal voice while wearing, you know, a city council hat, I guess you could say it that way. And I, I think it would mean a lot to other people if they heard just as vocal, just as loud, excuse me, just as loud voices from the other members who don't agree with Jason. Yeah. And I, and I totally agree with you. Um, here's where we've come into a little bit of, um, an issue, though, with that is um, we are speaking our voice, but people gravitate towards conflict and chaos. True. So hmm. conflict and chaos is going to be the voice that's heard the loudest, even if we're screaming positivity and encouragement just as loudly. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So that that's where we're having it. People are gravitating towards the, you know, everybody wants to watch a dumpster fire. Nobody, you know, like nobody, nobody wants to, it's, it's not as dramatic or as, um, entertaining Mm -hmm. to listen to a voice of reason or to, to listen to somebody who's encouraging them. And so that, I think that's, it's so frustrating. It's, it's so very frustrating because, um, we're, we're out there, we're out there every day, um, encouraging and um spreading positive messages and and we're not as we're not heard as loudly and and again i think it's because human nature especially in a pandemic apparently (laughs) people tend to gravitate towards chaos and that and that's weird to me because i i i would turn it off personally but that's it's just the way it is Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, if people want to follow, follow you all on the hellfire that is social media, um, <laughs> and it's particularly awful right now, yes. uh, Sarah, we'll start with you. Where should they look? Um, you can find me on Twitter is where I'm most active. Um, my handle is at S-R-S-K-A-N-K, so S-R-S-K-A-N-K. Greg? On Twitter, I'm at G Holling, uh, and I have a... Uh, Facebook page for my journalism, which is Greg Holling Journalist. If you do that search, uh, it'll show up. Okay. And Sonia? Um, so I I hate social media so much. Um, I'm Sonia Lund on 
Facebook and Raising Three Kings on Instagram. So I, I only post pictures and that's it. Right. <laughs> pictures of my kid, Nate. And he's an adorable, <laughs> handsome, well-named child, to, to be clear, to be clear. Yeah. I want to thank you all for coming on. Uh, your voices are important, and I'm glad that I was able to amplify them here. And I hope that if folks are listening to this uh, in Yakima County, the sooner you put on a mask, the sooner that Sea Galley and Union Gap opens up, and we can all get crab legs. Oh, nice. Wakanda forever, y'all. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. I've known you for a decade and was the best man in your wedding. Why are uh-huh. you telling me now that I'm saying your name wrong? I'm saying your name wrong the whole time. Okay. <laughs> because, uh, because no one could say my name right all growing up. So I just went by Sonia, right? Um, and then also my husband, your best friend, yes. um, cannot say my name right. Nerd Farmer is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows, Interchangeable White Ladies, Give Me the Mic, We Are Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Crossing Division, Citizen Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.